Blog Talk Radio. There's no earthly way of knowing. <laughs> Good man is out of time. Which direction we are going? Eric Neal Camino. It would have been DWI. have reached a tipping point. Good evening, ladies and gentlemen, and welcome to the tipping point. My goodness, you know, uh, of course, the, the show opens with that little ditty in the boat scene in Willy Wonka and the Chocolate Factory. And, uh, you know, Gene Wilder, for those who did not hear, has died. And, um, in fact, um, before I came on here, Larry, I uh, we watched Willy Wonka with the kids. And, oh. man, Gene Wilder was freaking great. I, w- I was talking to somebody about this. Gene Wilder is one of these guys that you think about – Willy Wonka, which is going, it's going to live forever, right? I mean, how many guys can say that they did a role better than Johnny Depp did? And like the, his version of Willy Wonka will live forever. Um, and then young Frankenstein, Blazing yeah. Saddles. You just, you can't have a movie like Blazing Saddles. Even movies that are really extreme, like Sausage Party, it's just, they can't have the kind of cultural impact that Blazing Saddles had. It's an amazing legacy. The stuff he did with Richard Pryor and all the rest of it. Uh, Gene Wilder, definitely something else. Um, Larry, I have a question for you. We were, um, we were looking, I was thinking about how this is going to, I swear this is going to come around to wrestling. Um, and by the way, John Schuyler is going to be our guest today or tonight. Um, I, I was thinking about how like the guy who wrote, uh, you know, Charlie and the Chocolate Factory, Ronald Dahl famously did not like the film, did not like the Gene Wilder portrayal of Willy Wonka, just didn't like that movie, was apparently much happier with that uh, Tim Burton pile of shit. And Mm. like, it, it just goes to show, like, sometimes I think guys are so close to the source material. It's such their baby that they can't even recognize what's good and what's bad anymore, which brings me to raw where (laughs) I think the reaction for Kevin Owens winning that title, which was this sort of universal, like, isn't this great? Like I, I can't, I'm stunned that people can see that finish as anything other than another indication of what is so wrong right now. And um, I, I, I posed this question to somebody today, and I'll pose it to you, Larry. Do you think Kevin Owens went to the back with that universal title and felt any way the same way that, say, Ric Flair felt when he won the NWA world title? Or, I mean, what, what do you think is running through well, Kevin Owens' mind with winning the title 
like that. Stephen, of, of course he did. He he is the champion of the universe, not of the world, of the freaking universe. <laughs> How could any of these? Well, I mean, this you're already getting into my list of peeves, which is like uh, now we're going to have SmackDown tag team champions too. Do I understand that right? That, that that's going to be in, in, in process. I mean, how can any of these belts mean anything when there's a million of them and they change hands willy-nilly and the belts themselves, half of them, look like shit? I, I just don't understand um, how, how any... How, <laughs> I don't know how Kevin Owens felt, but um, I... I know how I feel watching this with with a zillion a zillion titles. They don't they just don't have any meaning. Are you there? Well, I guess he's not. So yeah, um, I I uh, I don't get it. I of course my my internet crashed. Uh, our AT and T U verse went down. And uh, while generally I've been very pleased with AT and T U verse, and as much as I hate AT and T. Uh, right. We lo- we lost everything, so I didn't have no clue about Raw except that Owens won the title. I was going to ask Stephen to give me his his two minute drill on well, on well, Raw. Well, here's, 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 here's my two, here's my two minute here's my two minute drill. So I was uh, I was texting our board guy, but like yeah. um, here's my here's my take. Uh, I love what they're doing with Bailey. In that, I think they're they're trying to preserve what's great about her. Now, if they marry her to this angle that she's doing in conjunction with the New Day against uh, the worst stuff going, which is, you know, uh, the, the Bullet Club doctor thing with the girl as the nurse. And that stuff is so blatantly horrible in that, like, 1993, 1994 way. Um, but her, they're handling right. But everything else, I just I couldn't get over. I just I, I guess I'm always stunned at all the ways they're finding to not make money. You have Heyman and Stephanie McMahon in the ring together and nothing is, nothing is gained. Like, I don't, I don't get what they're going for. I don't get how it's going to make money. I don't get this game of Stephanie McMahon cuts his balls off, but then Paul Heyman does this sort of like evil smile at the end, which I guarantee you he wasn't supposed to do, but it was his way of salvaging it. And he'll probably get in trouble mm-hmm. for it. And all I think to myself is like, just make money. Like, <laughs> well, <laughs> but, make, but make money. Meanwhile, the, the, the WWE stock has cleared $20 and uh, it is all held over 20 and was up over 21. And we started talking about WWE stock a couple months back. It was down to, what, 17? So that's a nice 20% pop for anybody like Vince McMahon, who owns, uh, you know, huge, huge amounts of the stock. I mean, he's making lots of money, yeah. you know, uh, in in that vein. But, um, yeah, as far as, like, creatively, it, they're, they're, they're pretty bankrupt, at least on Raw. Uh, I, I can't wait to see – I mean, I – it is fascinating in this way of, man, like how many ways can they paint themselves in a corner before, I don't know, like it seems inconceivable that it would end. It seems inconceivable that they would sell to most people, not to me, but I think to most people, but I just don't, man, <laughs> 19, 19 big shows a year now. 
um, SmackDown's going to have their first one in about two weeks' time, and I, I'm just sort of stunned. Did you did you see the thing where they showed uh, pictures? Well, they didn't show it on Raw certainly, but SmackDown had their first sort of like brand specific house show. Ooh, and it was no. and it was in this and it was in this venue that somebody very aptly described as the kind of place Bill Watts would have run, which certainly is not a great shame. Except that's not what they do anymore. You know, they don't yeah. run in that kind of building, and it was just it was just dour. I mean, there it wasn't full. Uh, you know, it was far from full, so it just looked horrible. And I thought. I'm curious what they expected to happen that, well, you know, and they weren't lighting the the world on fire with house show business in any case. Right. So, and now, I mean, the talent, oof, man, it's, but again, like NXT's doing gangbusters, doing great stuff. And again, they keep catering to this hardcore audience. I guess that's where we're going with everything. Um, you know, there were 15, 15 big budget flops um, in the movie industry this year, up mm-hmm. from like eight at the same time last year. And like Warner in particular uh, took, like had flop after flop after flop, like Zoolander 2. And, you know, like Ben-Hur has come out and it cost more than $100 million and they made like around 10 million <laughs> opening weekend and uh, it's strange that the mo- the movies that make money you know you know how out of all the top movies um only two of them had original premises or scripts two and one of those was that freaking Kevin Hart rock movie <laughs> Central <laughs> Intelligence and then the other was um uh, Secret Life of Pets Everything else was a sequel or derivative of um, um, of something else, a comic book movie or some such. And and the, all the animated stuff did really well. And the reason it did really well is it's very easy to dub a cartoon for the Chinese market. And I thought to myself, as WWE ventures into China – and does these things, is that the game for the WWE as well, where the domestic market matters less and less and less, and they're going to find a way to translate their thing to a foreign market more and more and more, which means the, 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 basically the stunt show um, that it's kind of turned into, the in-ring work, which has turned into a series of sort of stunts and increasingly dangerous ones, by the way. Yeah. My God, yeah. last night, Larry, there were at least two instances where I thought that might have ended that guy's career. I mean, two. And every match had at least Whoa. two spots that made me cringe, where I just went, how can they possibly maintain this? Yeah. Does it get any scarier than Sasha and Charlotte? At SummerSlam, I mean, that was frightening. Uh, yeah, I mean, so the, the 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 risk level that these guys are subjecting themselves to, and the demands to do that now on the on, you know, on on the regular uh, WWE shows, and particularly on pay per view. Um, wow. I mean, it's going to have some short careers. You're going to have careers like uh, pro football players or less. At the, at the way and, things are going. 
And again, uh, like no lessons are learned. I mean, a little more than 10 years ago, SmackDown picked up when Heyman took the book, but it was these matches that brutalized the guys, shortened yeah. careers. Yeah. You look at guys like Chris Benoit, um, Edge. Um, I mean, it's not hard to determine all these guys. Yes, the work rate increased, and they got sort of a temporary lift because of it, but it came at the expense of the long-term health of the company. And, and I mean, at least back then, you could say angles were compelling. Now, I mean, with the advent of the Cruiserweight tournament, which is awesome to watch. I mean, don't get me wrong. It's awesome to watch. But then I think to myself, are they going to do this every week? Yeah. <laughs> and don't, yeah. Do they have, don't they have Cruiserweights already that they don't know what the hell to do with them already? And, uh, I mean, I just wonder, like, how many times are you going to see someone thrown in the air, dropped down on somebody's knees before it completely loses its effect, where that becomes, like, uh, any other move? I mean, you look at, like, Seth Rollins does, like, this awesome Fisherman's Buster jumping brain buster thing, and it's just another move. It's not, yeah. It doesn't yeah. even get a pin. Um, and there's and there's no there's no going back. No going I mean, back. once I I don't know how you, how you turn back the the clock on that kind of stuff. Once once the uh, the horse is out of the barn on that kind of stuff. Hey, you know we got um, uh, John Schuyler calling in here in just a couple minutes. And before yeah. he calls in, I did want to back up Steve and address uh, something from the last show that we got some uh, listener response on. Which was the guy <laughs> the guy calling in and starting to insult Arn and I don't remember which other legend he started in on and then I cut him off late. I should have cut him off sooner. Um and that's a guy who's called in before to the show. Sure. Um and uh the response we got from some listeners was that that this was a worked they thought this was a worked call. Like the uh, Eric Embry segments, you know that this was some sort of a segment. <laughs> no, no, that this is some sort of a segment that we were putting on the show, uh, purposely, and that the but but it gets better. That oh caller, yeah, it gets better. Oh, who's the, the caller? Oh my God, there! It, it's me, Austin. It's me all along. Who do they think the caller is? This is gr- gotta Bill be Barrett. great. <laughs> the caller was Bill Barons. And it sounded like Bill Barons. That so, Bill Barons was calling up. I, you know what? I don't. It's not Bill Barons. Let's let's establish that right off the jump. It's not Bill no, Barons, no. but I can see why they think it was. <laughs> I was like, hmm, sort of like antiquated sense of humor. It's sort of it's it's it. I, I wouldn't say that the guy who called in and does these things is a complete moron. Uh, no. I would just say that he's, and uh, yeah, I could see why somebody would think it's Bill. It is not Bill. So um, to, be, to, to be clear, I had called this guy off air. Um, I think it was after he did the run-in on Slim J on that Slim J interview. Either that or the Mister Hughes. Anyway, I called him and said, you know, uh, like kind of what's up, and that we welcomed him to call in, and if he wanted to discuss, you know. The, the items of the day, the news of the day, great, but we, we didn't really want run-ins during the interviews. 
And evidently, this is something he has done on a number of shows. And he said he offered to send me recordings of run-ins on other uh, uh, famous guests that he's done on other podcasts. And I said, no, no, I'm really not interested, and we really don't want that on our show. So to be clear, no, it definitely is not a work segment. And no, we don't want this guy on the show anymore, period. (laughs) And I apologize for not having his number handy when he called in last week. So... I've got it now, and it's, he, that that number, unless he uses a different number, that number will not be getting on the air. Well, excellent. Um, well, we're definitely going to, after we talk to John Schuyler, we definitely have to uh, address, unless you want to do it real fast, uh, talk about Dudley, Georgia, and the oh, latest, because it's pretty awesome. Let's come back and talk about the Georgia stuff after uh, our interview with John, because I believe we have the Southern Savior. John oh, the, I love that. Love that moniker. Yes, me too. I believe we have him on the line, line right now. John, is that you? It is me. Thank you guys for having me so much. Oh, welcome. Welcome. Thank you so much for coming to the Tipping Point. How are you doing tonight? I'm doing wonderful. How are you guys doing? We're doing absolutely fantastic. Um, John, like, you're one of these guys, like, I hear your name all the time now. And... Why is that? What's what's happened where, I mean, like I read show reports, I see your name pop up, people say great stuff, people online are saying really great things about you. What's, what's happened? Why do you think that's happening? I mean, there's so much indie wrestling out there. There's so many promotions, but your name is one that people are talking about very favorably in a business where notoriously people love tearing people down. You seem to be somebody who people really like. Uh, well, I, it's because I pay people a lot of money to say a lot of nice things about me. <laughs> nice. <laughs> uh, no, uh, truthfully, I, I really don't know. Uh, you know, I'd like to think, you know, maybe it's got something to do with me getting my name out there uh, on my own merit and uh, just kind of traveling the roads and, uh, I guess, TV exposure a little bit or a lot of it. You know, it doesn't ever hurt. So, um, you know, I can't really tell, you know, why all of a sudden my name just happens to pop up places. It just, I guess I'm doing something right or doing something different at least to where people are uh, hopefully starting to take notice. <clears throat> well, you know, if when you get when you get on NXT a few times and, and, and get on uh, WWTV, you're doing something right. Yeah, yeah. Or you're just the right guy in the right place at the right time. So um, it's, uh, you know, October will be a year now that me and Corey Hollis both have uh, kind of been working uh, off and on with WWE. So um, it's kind of crazy how a year kind of just flies by like that. But, uh, yeah, you know, uh, I'm very fortunate, very blessed to be in those opportunities and be given those opportunities. And, uh, you know, I can't wait to really see what uh, what's next for us. Well, and most recently, um, you guys ventured up to Illinois and won the uh, Resistance Pro Tag Titles, correct? That is correct, and we will be venturing back up there on September the 10th to defend those tag team titles. Um, We've had them for a a few months now, uh, and I've been with Resistance since the beginning, and, uh, you know, once me and Corey started kind of taking off as a tag team, they reached out about bringing me back and bringing Corey with me. Um, So it's been a lot of fun, and... uh, We've been having a lot of good matches up there, and you know, me and Corey both. I think we're finally starting to find our groove as as a tag team. Um, 
you know, because he's come out of a already successful tag team with Adam Page, and they were really successful. And, uh, you know, I've ventured in tag team wrestling myself, teaming with Stephen Walters and a couple others. So, uh, you know, you know, it takes time, but I think me and Corey are finally starting to find our uh, chemistry and we're really starting to click and gel as a tag team. Uh, John, you mentioned you've been with Resistance Pro since the beginning. Now, Resistance Pro, I would venture to guess, is one of these promotions that a lot of people have heard about and maybe have sort of watched a show or two or read about a show or two. But Resistance Pro has gone like through at least one or two sort of major changes. Like, can you describe briefly? Um, sort of the different eras of Resistance Pro, by your estimation, like what are what are the major sort of incarnations of Resistance Pro? What are the differences? What got better? What maybe what maybe got forgotten? That kind of thing. Um, well, when it began, it was the vision of uh, Billy Corgan, who's now with TNA, former Smashing Pumpkins frontman, and. Uh, he wanted to bring um, just a top-notch level show to sh- the Chicago area because the Chicago area can kind of be like the Georgia area or anywhere for that matter. I mean, there can be shows that are a little hit this. You know, you might have a really great show with guys that deserve to be in the ring, and then you might stumble across a show where you're like, what am I doing here? So um, it was Billy's vision from the get-go, and they started off – I mean, they were bringing in pretty much just like top, top-level uh, independent guys, and then a handful of us, other guys, I guess, was what we, I guess you would call us, but I mean, like, the first show, yeah, the first show was, um, you know, guys like El Generico and Pac and Kevin Steen at the time, and Harry Smith and Rhino, and, you know, I mean, guys that, you know, are all on TV now or were in TV prior. Um, and then just a handful of others like me and Stephen Walters and uh, Robert Anthony, who went by Egotistico Fantastico in CZW, and um, a couple others. But it was mainly those top-level indie guys. And then somewhere they ventured, or they decided, I guess, to uh, venture out and say, like, we need to create our own guys, our own names. And slowly they started phasing out a lot of those top-level uh indie names and then kind of building some of us other guys. So um, also right around that time, uh, they had brought, they brought in Nova and Raven to kind of help agent and produce the matches. And they, you know, taught all of the locker room, a ton of things. Um, you know, it was always like sitting under the learning tree. Uh, you know, when you're around those two guys, sometimes you want to choke Raven, but that's, that's just him. So <laughs> I've heard um, that, yes. <laughs> yeah, not the easiest guy to get along with, but he is a very smart guy and he's got a lot to offer um to me and everyone else in this business. So um then they started talking about doing reality T V and they actually signed and inked a deal to start producing a reality T V show for AML. Um AML, I'm sorry, AMC. Um I got wrestling on my mind tonight. <laughs> uh, AMC, uh, their <laughs> network, <laughs> their network wanted to, um, you know, you know, help us produce this reality TV show, and this was all Billy Corgan's idea. And uh, you know, he, to his credit, he is a visionary. So like he, he saw wrestling kind of going towards more of that reality-based programming, and a little, uh, you know, more away from the kind of hokey, cartoony stuff that you 
that comes and goes in all eras of wrestling. But uh, we got about midway through season one uh, and filming, and uh, it had been green-lighted. They, the, the network loved the pilot. They loved everything about it. They loved the concept of it. And then midway through season one, AM, uh, AMC pulled all reality programming from their network. So they shot the um, show around to other networks, and nobody else really picked it up. And I think Billy just to kind of kind of decided to cut his losses, and now he's in TNA. And uh, the Baron brothers, uh, they go by the name of Jacques and Gabe. Uh, they've been there from the start too, since day one, uh, and they've kind of been like. I guess, uh, co-owners with Billy. And so now they've kind of taken things over. Um, and it's very much still alive and well, and, uh, it's doing very well. Um, I'm still, you know, happy to be a part of it as much as I was from day one. So, uh, things are still going very well up there. Fantastic. Because again, resistance pro is one of those things I think people know reflexively, but you've kind of given us a great overview of sort of the history of that promotion and the, and the different things you've gone through. Um, Skylar, like, you know, teaming with Corey, like that's been such a great thing to watch. I I'm familiar with Corey Hollis, booked him a bunch of times. Um, just a great guy. What's the key as somebody who's had like, tag team partners that you've worked out very well with what's the key what's what's the key to that chemistry thing is there is there like sort of a series of things that you let you know okay i'm gonna have good chemistry with this guy in the ring and get along with him uh yeah absolutely i think it's one of those things where when you're put in a tag team you have to be 100 like percent committed to it like the old saying is like you can't get half pregnant, so you have to be like full, full fledged. Like I'm gung ho, like a part of this tag team. And the ones that I've noticed with me, anyways, is uh, the ones that have really been successful and that have worked. Uh, take Corey for example, or take Stephen Walters for example. I mean, we are true to life friends, and we travel together, eat together, train together. Uh, you know, you know, we're around each other nonstop. So it's not one of those things where, like, we show up for a show and it's like, okay, let's just put this tag match together and then we go our separate ways again. I mean, we're always together. So we always uh, are thinking alike and, and bouncing ideas off of each other way beyond just a show. And I think that's got a lot to do with it is, I mean, you can pair any two guys together and, you know, call them a tag team. But if they're not, like, fully invested in the tag team, then I don't think it really clicks. And I don't think, uh, I don't know, it's almost like a marriage where, you know, one person's gone from home all the time. You know, nine times out of ten, that marriage doesn't really work because, you know, you don't know what your spouse is doing or whatever. So it's kind of weird that I'm comparing tag team wrestling to marriage. But, I mean, and that's just where the chemistry, I think, comes from. You can't really team with somebody and make it work if if you don't have, like, the same philosophies in wrestling or, you know, and that's not to say that me and Corey agree on everything either. Like, there's times we'll butt heads, and, uh, you know, at the end of the day, you know, I might have to compromise with them or something. But, I mean, that's kind of that's kind of what it's about too, I guess, is finding that happy medium and, you know, being able to go out there and just and, and perform and know the person that you're in the ring with, like, the back of your hand. Yeah, I, I think comparing it to a marriage is very apt, actually. Even even yes. how tag team wrestling can be treated, um, where 
at t- when wrestling went through this phase of every team that seemed like it was put together, it was almost because they could, they, the inevitable split was happening. And I think if you go into the mentality of who's going to be the Marty and who's going to be the Sean when we split these guys up, if that's how you go into your approach to forming a tag team and then booking them for failure from the get-go and – you know, whenever they go, like tag team wrestling goes up and down in popularity and how it's presented. And right now it seems to be in a pretty good spot. And I mean, what those things all have in common is nobody's thinking about the new day splitting up, you know, but thank God, like they're not going, Oh, they're going to split them up. Like nobody wants that to happen. Not really. And, And I mean, nobody want like, you and Corey have chemistry and there's a a kind of an undeniable thing going on and it's okay to want a good thing to continue for God's sakes. There's a million stories you can still tell together. Great. Larry, please. I I was just going to say, I completely agree with you on that. Like, uh, you know, I just think that, uh, you know, like you said, with the example of the new day, like I think it's all in the packaging too now is, they're being packaged as a trio, and they're also, you know, even here recently they kind of got away from Kofi and Big E, and they've been using Kofi and Xavier as a team, and that's pretty cool too, but it's the package. Like, it's the whole package, like the revival. You know, you can't really see one without the other or the new right. day. Or, yeah. um, you know, there's countless others, but even years back, you know, uh, a couple of years ago when you had, say, like The Miz and John Morrison, like you said, it was inevitable that they were going to split up and the whole Sean and Marty thing. You're like, who's going to, who's going to, you know, seize the moment when they break out in singles and then who's going to kind of fall to the wayside or whatever. But I definitely, I think it's in the packaging too. Um, you know, if you're packaged um, two singles guys as, as two singles guys paired together, then inevitably they are going to split up. But if you package two guys, like two guys together as a team, then I think it's uh, a recipe for success. I agree. Yeah, I mean, I, um, I'd like to think that, uh, you know, a team like Dash and Dawson could bring tag team wrestling back in vogue when you see how much fun, I mean, and how great they are as a team and, and the value of a real team like that. Um, just wonderful to see. Um, but, John, I wanted to just switch gears for a second and ask you about your PWX run because, I mean, you had, you've had you held the title twice there, and you first time was for over a year. And, I mean, and I have to think that was pretty significant uh, for you that, 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 uh, that time. Could you talk about that a little bit, please? Uh, yeah, uh, quite honestly, like I probably started at PWX, uh, I want to say it was 2012 or 13, I can't, maybe 2013, uh, and from the get-go, I mean, it just seemed like there were a lot of, like, when I first got there, I didn't see it becoming what it's become now, I mean, I saw it as just another booking, another show, and, uh, you know, my, my attitude was completely different towards it. Um, you know, there were shows that, you know, quite honestly, I didn't feel like there were days, there were days I didn't feel like being there anymore. And I wanted, I just want to like wipe my hands clean of PWX and say, you know, why am I doing this or why am I working here or whatever? Um, and that was about, you know, how, what my mindset was right around the time I left for Europe for the first time. Um, however, they just had Steve Carino come in and take over the booking around that time. And Steve had this elaborate idea to crown tag team champions with this like shoot lethal lottery type deal um, where the fans, like the VIP fans got to draw the names and it was all like a complete shoot. 
nobody knew like who was going to be teaming with who or who you were going to be wrestling. And me and the man scout got paired together. And, uh, out of that, we ended up winning the tag team titles. We ended up having this like crazy feud for a year. And then even from there, I went from the man scout to Anthony Henry, feuded with Anthony Henry for a year and had some really good matches with him. And, uh, I'd like to think too, that like, our feud helped kind of put both of us on the map a little bit because now Henry's really doing some great things too. And uh, I'm so happy for him. And I'm so happy to see that, you know, he's really becoming one of the top guys in PWX. And uh, from there, you know, I went into a, uh, it was just a fatal four way. It was me, Caleb Connolly, Cedric Alexander, who was the champion at the time and, uh, and Ricochet. And we had this like outside the box idea to uh, make an elimination with, the champion getting pinned first and me getting all the pinfalls, like stealing all the pinfalls, which is something kind of weird. And, you know, it's not really that crazy to think about. I mean, it wasn't like an elaborate, you know, go around your elbow to get to your ass idea, but it's just kind of common sense, but it it just hadn't been done at that point. And uh, so I won the title, uh, embarked on that year long title reign, uh, took it to China and Asia and defended it over there. Uh, so I was happy to come back and, you know, like so many independent companies say that they have a world champion and they don't leave like a 30 mile radius of wherever the show is. So it's like, are they really a world champion? Um, but I actually can say that I took the PWX title overseas and defended it and it is a world championship. So, uh, it was just cool to kind of add prestige to it over that year. And then I ended up losing it to Sammy Callahan, who was stepping in for Zack Sabre Jr., who had gotten hurt over in Germany. And uh, so I ended up losing it to the substitute and winning it right back. Uh, and then I recently lost it to the man scout, uh, which kind of shows you that like the rivalry comes full circle again. It's almost like, you know, dusty and flair or dreamer and Raven. Like you can always, you can always go back to it and people will still be invested. They'll like it. Just depends on, it's just got a lot to do with how you get there. And um, it was, uh, it's been a fun ride, man. And now, you know, PWX is like a, it's a, it's a place that the guys uh, are, are aiming to try to get to uh, now, as opposed to just being another booking guys. I mean, from all over want to be a part of that, that company. And, and that's a really cool thing uh, to watch the company grow. And I'm, you know, I'm not saying I was the sole reason. I mean, there was guys like Cedric Alexander, Caleb Conley, uh, Jake Manning, Anthony Henry, and a handful of others, um, Corey and, and Adam Page, and uh, you know, but it was kind of cool to be the champion and <laughs> see the houses go up, see the the notoriety go up, see you know the company get more exposure. You know, that's kind of that's kind of cool to be at the forefront, and the helm of all that. Um, um, here, here's a question I, I got to ask. I'm gonna I'm gonna interrupt Larry because that's what I do. But like, um, so with you and Corey. Uh, you know, being at NXT and getting seen on Raw, and like, of course, all that's exciting. What are things uh, like? Who said things to you about your matches um, of prominence? Like, who said things to you, and what did they say that really stuck with you? Because um, I mean, I, I can't imagine how exciting that would be <laughs> to like you're on yeah. NXT, you're like tearing it up, and then you know. Getting getting your name out there, and then you know somebody like a, a William Regal or whoever comes up and says something to you. Has has anybody said anything to you guys? You in particular? Yeah, yeah tons of people have too. Um, 
first of all, the first thing I'll say is like with NXT and Full Sail and the Performance Center, they have some of the greatest coaches in the world that you can learn from down there. Uh, from Matt Bloom to Robbie Brookside, Norman Smiley, um, Terry Taylor, uh, William Regal, uh, Sarah Del Rey, Lita. Um, there's a handful of like great coaches down there, and they're always at television because they're usually the producer or the agent for the matches. Um, uh, but yeah, we've we've had in one way or another we've worked with pretty much all those people that I just named as well as your Billy Guns uh, right before he departed. Um, and also, like, at Raw and SmackDown, you know, I've, I've gotten the, the chance to work with the uh, Road Dogs and uh, Jamie Noble, um, Scott Armstrong, I mean, a handful of guys. Uh, so it's always cool uh, to get great feedback from the coaches and or the producers, uh, for one, because you know you did your job well. Um, but then when you get backstage and you see, like, the upper echelon of people like Michael Hayes and uh, Triple H and a handful of others, and they're pulling you aside and they're saying, like, you know, holy crap, like, you guys are really good and, you know, keep doing what you're doing. And, I mean, even recently, at, you know, at SmackDown, you know, Hunter took him, took it upon himself to talk to me and Corey, and uh, he just said, like, don't think that you guys, what you guys have been doing has gone unnoticed because, you know, we hear about you guys quite a bit now, and, uh, we're just happy to have you guys like around and a part of the team. So thank you very much for everything you're doing. And, uh, just comforting, you know, and, uh, especially coming from somebody like triple H. <laughs> so, I mean, that, that's, uh, that's really cool. And that's a real cool, like, you know, notch on your belt. And I mean, I know I'm leaving people out too, but we've literally gotten to work with most of the agents now and most of the producers, um, Dean Malenko and Adam Pierce, uh, you know, those are two more that, you know, we've gotten to learn from, and, uh, you know, it's just it's very surreal, man, to walk around that locker room and see so many people that you grew up either idolizing or patterning yourself after when you got in the business or, you know, what have you. And uh, it's just so crazy to think, you know, <laughs> a year ago we were like, I, I know for, I can speak for myself, I can't speak for Corey, but like a year ago, you know, I'm sitting here thinking to myself, like, golly, when am I going to get a break? You know, you just, it gets, uh, at times it gets tough just because you, you mentally, like, you're like, what am I doing? You know, uh, you know, you see people that you grew up with settling down and getting families and marrying and having real jobs, like, where they work in an office and stuff. And, you know, here I am trying to chase this dream for the last eight years. And you just want to know, like, is there going to be a payoff? And then slowly it seems like it becomes, you know, more attainable and closer the dream. So it's just been, uh, you know, really, really cool to learn from all those guys. And, you know, for the most part, they've all been very willing to help if you're willing to listen. So. Well, speaking of patting yourself after, I've always been a big fan of your um, work as a heel. There's a, there's a throwback element to it that I really like. I'm just curious what's your influences in, in, the way you work as a heel and in, in, in the character you have as a, as a heel? Uh, there's a couple. Um, for one, I grew up a big fan uh, of Terry Funk. Um, uh, Terry is just so left-sided, outside the box, uh, and unorthodox with the things that he would do. Like, it seems like he would just, out of nowhere, just do something completely random just to make people go, what is this guy doing? Is he legitimately crazy or... You know, like, so I've always, you know, try to throw a couple elements like that in there, like, to make people wonder 
And then, uh, like, actual in-ring fundamentals and things like that, I would have to say more along the lines of, like, Tully Blanchard, um, Arn Anderson, and even, like, recently a little bit of Fit Finley um, have been the, like, guys that I've tried to pattern myself after, like, actually in the ring. But when it comes to character and, and things of that nature, it's like Terry Funk, a little bit of uh, a little bit of Brian Pillman, and you know, you know, I, I pick and choose. Like you know, the, I was a big fan of a lot of those guys. Uh, um, you know, I just like to be a little bit unpredictable or a little bit different than everybody else that you might see on the show. Because I mean, if you see like eight matches and seven of them, everybody in them is trunks and kick pads and, you know, serious wrestler guy, then, I mean, you're going to get sick of that after a while. So it's nice to have something else, I guess, that deviates from it a little bit. You know, um, early at the outside of the show, we were talking a little bit about the, the, uh, the bar being set so high for work rate now and like kind of stunt type wrestling even at the highest levels uh in, in wwe and i mean that doesn't seem to be really you or your style what are your thoughts on that kind of change in the, in the way things are going in uh at the highest levels in wwe um i i see your point i mean i see that uh you know it's getting more uh the style is a little bit I would say, like you said, more like stunt level to, but there's still being like there's still great stories being told uh, in and out of the ring, and um, I don't know. It's just the way I think too that uh, the way people have been trained to think how that's changed. Like with with the advent of DVR and everything like live streaming, you have so many options now where you can kind of, you know, like if you're it's not like it was when I was watching wrestling in the 90s, like where you had to sit through the commercial and then you had to wait with anticipation for some, like for something to happen when they were coming back from the break. And then you had to wait an entire week to find out what was going to happen next. Like now there's that instant gratification where you can literally, you know, okay, this, this isn't what I want to watch. Well, I'll go watch something on the network or I'll go watch something on YouTube. So they have to do something that grabs people's attention and I think the only thing, the only drawback I see from that is, you know, you're seeing it. I mean, guys are getting hurt more frequently. And, uh, you know, so if there's a safer way to kind of tone it down a little bit without losing the people, you know, I'm all for it. I mean, now as far as my style goes, I definitely like to save the big moments and make them make them mean something. But if we're looking at the terms of, like, you know, if we're looking at it compared to, like, a movie or something, you know, like, 20, 30, 40 years ago, like, just the sight of Godzilla, people go, like, oh, my God, you know, but now you you watch, like, Transformers with Michael Bay, and there's an explosion in every scene. But yeah. Does, yeah. That, that, does yeah. that mean that the Michael Bay films aren't very good? I mean, people come out in drones to see them, you know, and I, I happen to like those films. So, I mean, is it necessarily saying that that's the right way to make a movie or the wrong way to make a movie? It's just a different way. It's more... Uh, more conducive to the audience now, where it's just like, you know, you got to grab their attention. Um, John, you've been such a phenomenal guest. I'm going to ask Larry a question. Larry, mm-hmm. you 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 watch a lot of wrestling. Um, you've seen a lot of guys. And what's special about Skyler? What what do you see in him that sort of separates him from the pack? 
that that makes it so he has the big league potential. When, when you when you think about John Schuyler, what do you think about? Um, he makes me believe. It's that it, you know. Yeah. I, I don't have any trouble suspending disbelief when I watch a John Schuyler match. And that, I mean, it really gets no better, right? I mean, that's a that's a that's the highest compliment that you can give is that he's yeah, attained absolutely. the height of the height of the art form, and he does it without having to legitimately hurt guys. I mean, you know, like Raven, who you yeah. brought up way before. I mean, Raven's not wrong. As infuriating as he is to listen to sometimes <laughs> and deal with, uh, and I second that emotion. He is right. Where he's like the art used to be it looks like it kills but it doesn't hurt now now it's often the opposite where you do things that are murdering dudes and it doesn't have the emotional impact like you know when you watch Finn Balor get hurt in that match and they keep showing it again and again and again and they're having to zoom in on stuff and I'm thinking like you know that legitimately hurt him and you're still having to frame it that, no, no, see, it hurt. Look at his shoulder right here. And I thought to myself, like, man, is that where it is with the audience where you, <laughs> you know, like, wow. Like, back in the day, it's like some guy would get, you know, thrown into the post and would just sell it so well that that was enough. You know, kid, yeah. like, Captain Redneck would post Ted DiBiase, and he would come out with bloody bandages on his head against Ric Flair, and that was enough. That was enough to turn yeah. him face. And, um, yeah. like, I, I mean, I, you know, honestly, John, I, I don't think I've ever heard Larry give anybody – I certainly he's never said anything close to that nice about me. Um, <laughs> I mean, that's, like, that's the greatest cool. testament that you can get is he makes – you make Larry believe, and um, that's pretty awesome stuff. Well, thank you very much. That is a very high compliment, and I uh, definitely appreciate that. Um, and to play devil's advocate for just a second, I, you know, I don't think that Finn, uh, Seth Rollins, you know, meant to hurt Finn Balor. I definitely think that the way that they replayed it and things of that nature is trying to turn a positive or make a positive out of sure. a negative. Yeah, um, absolutely. You know, I don't think it was like obviously it wasn't designed to 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 be replayed as many times as it has been replayed, but. When unfortunately something like that happens, you kind of have to put a positive touch on it. So why not run with it? But at the same time, uh, you know, I, I dig the, the Ted DiBiase ring post mid south uh, stuff too. You know, that's uh, that's compelling storytelling of a different color, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, um, <laughs> so, uh, but thank you very much for the compliment too. Oh yeah, Absolutely. hey John, before we before we let you go, anything you want to uh, plug? Uh, just Twitter is still at the John Schuyler. It's S K Y L E R. Um, and, uh, you know, I'm all over social media and I'm pretty easy to find. So, uh, you know, people can find me pretty much on anything, Facebook, Instagram, uh, pro wrestling tees. I got a pro wrestling tees shop up and running. Uh, it's just the John Schuyler pro wrestling tee store. If they're looking to buy some merch, um, and I'm always booked up. I'm always around. So uh, you never really know when I'm going to wear it, when or where I'm going to pop up next. Um, you know, it's uh, just this week alone, I've gotten a lot of phone calls about a lot of upcoming opportunities that will be seen on a national level. So I'm uh, very excited. Fantastic. 
I'm, I'm excited, and it's um, you know from a couple different places. So there's going to be some options now, and that's always uh, that's always a plus. So I'm very excited about where my career is headed, and not only for the second half of 2016, which has by far been you know one of the most rewarding years of my career, but I'm really excited about 2017 too. So um, you know it's kind of crazy to think that we're already fast approaching that, but <laughs> we are. So um, you know just and and if anybody that's listening too, I mean just thanks. Thanks for anybody's support that's watched me, uh, whether it be in Cornelia or, you know, England or, you know, the Carolinas or wherever, you know. Well, thank you so much for being on, John. And, uh, you know, all the success is deserved, and I'm sure we'll be – I'm I'm sure – I'm going to predict a year from now we wouldn't be able to – get you on the tipping point if we tried and i hope that's i hope that's the case (laughs) i hope hope you i hope you outgrow us god forbid i can't wait for the day where i do so and uh in all uh with all due respect i hope that's also the case thank you guys for having me on and uh you know i uh i hope to see you guys somewhere soon Absolutely. We'll Take care. Yes, sir. Um, yes. Uh, Larry. So apparently, um, the the, uh, the the audio that I wanted our board guy to get apparently it's already on the board. Apparently, yes. we did a thing. Oh, you, you, so you've got it. it. I've got awesome. it. Oh, cool. Well, that is a great show closer. Um, uh, Larry, they, they got to know what happened in Dudley, Georgia. What's the latest? We've got, we've got people in jail. We've got bonds being posted. We've got all kinds of great stuff to follow up the story that we talked about. Well, yeah, it's on gwhnewsnotes.blogspot.com that I did talk to the uh, sheriff's department uh down there in uh, Lawrence, uh, Lawrence, well, it's Lawrence County, isn't it? Um, or is it Lawrence? I think it's Lawrence. In any case, wherever Dublin is located, I talked to that that jail down there, and they said that yeah, we had Greg Green, but he has bonded out. Um, nice. And then of of course there was the tidbit that Tammy Sitch posted from talking to the sheriff that he had been previously in a psychiatric hospital in the VA hospital in Augusta. Uh, due to uh, potential suicidal ideation, but he had been medically cleared, and that's when he was arrested and um, jailed uh, back home. So, um, but one of the things that's been bugging me about this, you know, this guy's been you know, mm. made out as the worst person in the world, and yeah. certainly, I mean, this was like pretty awful what he did. Uh, it just boggles the mind that. Um, well, one, and I commented on this last week, that, that legends looking at all of the legends that were booked could think that there was a way that everybody was going to get paid on this deal in right. Dudley, Georgia. Um, and the other thing that, that, I keep, that I just can't get out of my mind is that this guy, Mr. Green, turned what would have been a civil case uh, against him, and maybe some wrestler would have threatened to beat his ass there at the show. Maybe a wrestler would have beat his ass. I don't or, know. Or did, but, yeah. But he, turned, but, but, yeah. Well, he, he, but he turned a civil case into a massive criminal case against him by writing these checks instead of just saying, right. hey, no, I don't have the money. I don't have the money. Yes. 
Yes. I, I mean, I, I'm, this is going to sound crazy. I'm a little disappointed in him that he showed up. What happened to the old tradition of promoters fucking running away? <laughs> yeah. What, what happened to the, like, but man, he'd, I, he'd have been so much better off. <laughs> yeah. Indeed. Indeed. I mean, that the whole story is wacko and wild and, um, Hopefully it will be a cautionary tale, but in more likely it will be another chapter in the lore of of uh, the crooked promoters and the people that enable them. I said well, enable, and, and I mean it. You know. It, it, the other thing, of course, is is folks, local folks, stepping up. Uh, and I, I do not know the the individuals that have, that are planning to do this, but saying you know announcing that a legend show will take place next year in Dudley. As a you know makeup and of 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 what took place this year, so that'll be interesting to see how that how that transpires. Yes, yes, and I I suggest for that renting porta potties. That's my call. <laughs> Rent the porta potties. <laughs> um, so you know I, this is something I found interesting, Larry. So Mr. Fuji died. Uh, he lived into into his eighties and was not in good health for the last few years. Um, but boy, the response that Mr. Fuji got, he got this like whole segment on sports center when it happened, a rather lengthy one, rather detailed one. And then he got a really great thing on raw last night. And I, I'm going to be this guy. I'll just say it like Mr. Fuji was not good, but he was sort of an unforgettable character. And I also couldn't help but think that was this the WWE's way of going, we missed the boat on so many legitimate Japanese talents (laughs) for decades, right? They just couldn't make a star out of any of them and didn't really try. So hopefully that's going to, that, that is going to be different now that they're pushing the King of strong style. Though, again, I think marketing him that way is incredibly limiting, but, but, but it's something right. That he's not just a sort of like Mickey Rooney esque Asian buck tooth, like stereotype, but I thought it was interesting that Fuji was getting all this love and China who was much more modern much more closer to our time and a much bigger star uh, by almost any measure just didn't get that level of acclaim. Now, you know, it could be because of mix-ups with Triple H and Stephanie McMahon and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, I thought it was fascinating that they, that this much love was being showered onto Fuji where you had sports center anchors sitting there talking about how great Fuji vice is and how it's this great ironic thing that you should watch. And like, um, you know, sort of highlighting like how many times he had won tag titles and who he teamed with in great detail for an audience that for the most part would have no idea what the hell they were talking about. And um, just another example of how wrestling's history can be such a positive, And I kind of wish they would use it more. Um, did When you think Mr. Fuji, Larry, what do you think of? Um. <laughs> I was never really like a big Fuji person. Uh, yeah. I, you know, to me, he—I mean, he was part of that sort of sort of character era of WD when he had very broadly drawn comic book type characters, and he was he was mm-hmm. amusing. But 
I don't have any deep deep thoughts. About no, I, you know, as a as a fellow as a fellow Jap, like Fuji sort of held the same thing that like Long Duck Dong or like the Asian Kid in the Goonies. We we loved seeing any representation whatsoever. So, <laughs> Mr. Fuji was a big effing deal for me and my friends in Hawaii. Like we would okay. do Fuji impersonations. We would throw crap in each other's eyes. Uh, we would call each other boy son and <laughs> and all that stuff. <laughs> and um, uh, it's, it's interesting. Like I'm curious with now that I'm convinced with the WWE sort of expanding into Asia and really trying to make inroads in Mexico and stuff like that. I think you're going to see a more nuanced athletic presentation of guys. Um, and I'm curious if they can get a jab over. Now, I think it's easier than it used to be. I think when you were like Russo and others sort of famously said, well, if a guy can't cut a promo in English, he's of no use to me and blah, 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 blah. But when you look at NXT, like the most badass chick is Japanese, the most badass dudes, Japanese. And because their audience is narrower, because they're trying to appeal to this sort of narrower base of people who would actually know what New Japan Pro Wrestling is, I think that there's a shot. But I also think that there will never be a level of stardom like the kind that like Inoki wanted in the United States. I don't think that level of stardom even exists for anybody anymore. Um, yeah, so. Well, yeah. Just going to, to Nakamura for a second. I mean, I really like the very the the, the short, uh, smart ass little, little promos he does in uh, NXT. I think they're very effective, mm-hmm. and doesn't need to be a big talker uh, to be effective in on the mic for for what he's doing there. So I mean, but yeah, I mean, how how far that can go on the big stage, we we shall see. Yeah. It's certainly, in so many ways, it's the best of times for a wrestling fan. You have access to all this stuff, access to wrestling in more parts of the world. Um, And strangely enough, it's wrestling fans themselves who I think have the the power to inadvertently take it all down by being dumb shits. (laughs) Uh, if you're chanting for Slater you're not helping like uh, the more exclusive wrestling fans try to make this thing the more narrow it will be in scope and the more you will drive away future performers it's you know there was a time where heavyweight boxing was the epitome of greatness and so good athletes became boxers. But then when that was no longer the case, the good athletes went and did something else. And I think if pro wrestling continues to narrow its scope and be overtly picky and basically make it where it's not enjoyable to be a pro wrestler, either because of frequent injury or unrealistic expectations from its audience and promoters, you're going to find people who are like gifted physical performers doing other things. And that's my, that's my big warning to the wrestling fan who weighs 300 pounds, but is going to be picky about what the guy in the ring looks like. Um, at the end of the day, if you love something, uh, set it free, but it doesn't mean set wrestling free. It means set your own self free. 
because quite frankly, it's a privilege to get to participate in it. But I think what wrestling fans are forgetting is it's a bit of a privilege to get to watch it as well. And we didn't pay to see you. So once in a while, sit down, mm. shut the fuck up and watch. <laughs> before we uh well said, yes before we go a couple of quick quick notes um please if you didn't get a chance check out scott hensley's report on oh my Eagle god pro show in tennessee it's up on gwhdews.com <laughs> to say the least there were some bruised egos as a result of mr hensley's report but some excellent points made and it's worth worth checking out um uh, I'm this week. That Scott, I, I'm sorry. I'm delighting that Scott Hensley is now getting to see what that's like when you put purport what you honestly feel to be the truth about something is, and the reaction you get from people who deep down, deep down, know that you're right, yeah. but they can't help but react negatively anyway. Boy, welcome to my life. Uh, it's really fun to see, though. It's really fun to see Scott Hensley, like, getting to react to the reactions because it's like, oh, my gosh. You know, he's getting to see sides of people that he never wanted to see. Um, but it's you were just so saying this fun. weekend, Larry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just that we, we – uh, just a couple upcoming things. Dragon Con uh, we sh- moves to Thursday, the Dragon Con oh wrestling show uh, in uh, – a lot of doubts being expressed about how well that's going to work out. I'm going to be at that show to kind of see how that goes down this Thursday night. Um, and Xavier Woods course, gave that a prop, by the way, on Raw when they when they pull when they came up on the vignette, the backstage vignette. He was going like, "Yeah, I'm going to be at Dragon Con. It's going to be my birthday. It's going to be lit." And I, of course, I popped and laughed. You know, <laughs> he, he got a Dragon Con plug in there. God bless you, Xavier Woods. God bless you. Well, I guess he's got something on his uh, gaming website at 4 p.m. on uh, Friday as part of the uh, Dragon Con uh, convention. Excellent. Uh, you know, and of course, he's always there, although he can't wrestle. He's always at the wrestling show in, in some sort of a wild costume. So look look for him there if you happen to be. You don't have to look for him. He'll make himself known if he's, if he's at the show. Um, and then, of course, Saturday, uh, PCW has their final show before Sacred Ground, correct? The go-home show before Sacred Grounds, and um, Sacred Ground is on September 17th. I will definitely be there for that. And then the night before, we're having a gathering of wrestlers. Um, I, we haven't put out a lot of information about it, but we are, because apparently, Larry, what we had talked about has come to pass, and we are able to access that. So GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com has been reacquired by our own venerable Larry Goodman. And so that that's where you're going to go to find information about this gathering taking place on September 16th. And then uh, Sacred Ground is on the 17th. So all that should be coming up in the next couple of days. So look on GWH News and Notes to check out everything about that. And then the other big uh, shows of the weekend is uh, Peach State's having their five-on-five street fight mm-hmm. outside the building. And we that how they're going to stage that, in, that's not really a well-lit area out there outside that building. And, uh, so how they're going to do that? I don't know, but that should be interesting. And then UIW is having their version of a uh, somewhat of a Legends event. They're bringing in Tommy Wildfire Rich, Bull Buchanan, uh, Joel Deaton, Steve the Brawler, Lawler, Tracy Smothers, um, with Adrian Armour versus Robbie E on top. So that's also on September 3, and that's in Buchanan. So that's my 
brief news and notes. Lots of big shows happening. Uh, be sure to check at least one of them out. Um, Larry, Mr. Fuji, of course, has passed. And so uh, we're going to end the show in appropriate fashion honoring Mr. Fuji. We, we won't discuss whether he was high or not, um, because he probably wasn't, though he was likely drunk and probably playing a mean prank. Is it safe to say that Mr. Fuji is... Um, you know, I don't, I, ne- I don't, I never thought he rated as a wrestler. I never thought he would, I don't, I don't even think he was one of the three best managers on a show in the WWE, WWF <laughs> in his prime, honestly. But I will say, is Mr. Fuji top three in meanest pranksters of all time? Probably. He's, he, yes, he's in that, he's in that Johnny Valentine sort of dynamite kid era like category of vicious i'm not talking about fun loving owen hart pranksters i'm talking about guys who are lucky they didn't get shot by somebody pranksters um if you need any of those stories do a google search on some mr fuji pranks they're inhumanly brutal and now uh we'll close the show thank you larry um next week will be three the hard way and then uh sacred ground week We'll be here for the tipping point. Um, I can already tell you who the guests are going to be. Jeff G. Bailey, um, the main event is of Sacred Ground is the PCW champion Jeter against uh, Gunnar Miller with Jeff G. Bailey. So we're going to see if we can get all three of those guys on to talk about the main event of Sacred Ground. And now, uh, is he high with uh, Fuji, Mr. Fuji? (laughs) That's pretty good. It's time to play Is He Talked about a fucking pound of weed and played a bunch of video games. <laughs> weed is tight. Weed is tight. That's awesome. That's awesome. Weed yeah. is awesome. I don't know because I'd say Americans have different customs. Americans have American wife. Say you anything you man mannequin husband must do everything for American wife. Huh. It is this is different very difficult. But in Japan wife do everything for men and get your girl do anything for me. Look out on it. So hey, hey. suck it, suck it, suck it, suck it. Hi, hi, hi. You I want you drink. Drink some more, please. Drink. I want you to drink. No. I'm not a no, 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 no. You drink. You drink. Not it. 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 Insult me, master of house, and two honorable guests. I feel very insulted. I do not like. Mr. Fuji, please. I will punish her. I will punish her in my way. It didn't hurt me. I wasn't hurt. I wasn't insulted. (laughs) Believe me. Because you don't know the Japanese custom when women get your spill. Sucking a man's hand is insult. Bad insult. Insult. Mr. Fuji do not like to be insulted. You understand? <laughs> I can't get back. He's high as hell. <laughs> <laughs> Whew.
the V, you're the V, and that's all, folks. <laughs> <laughs> oh, thank you for listening to this broadcast. I, I kind of wish I was still wrestling actively so I could just be the worst Asian stereotype of all time. You would be for my own amusement. You would be. As always, thank you for your continued support. That bowler hat. 